Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Providence Journal's College Basketball Podcast. This is Bill Koch, a sports writer for the Journal, here in our studios in downtown Providence. Uh, It is a lovely Friday afternoon as we join you on this March Madness edition of the podcast. I'm joined by my co-conspirator, the sports director at ABC6, and the weekend co-host of Cordishi and Coit on WEI Providence, Nick Coit, ladies and gentlemen. Coity, how we living? Bill, we're, we're living okay. Um, the weather outside, as you said, is gorgeous today. It's been a great week. Things are starting to turn. And I'm really glad to be in here talking with you about college basketball. It is sort of a sanctuary for me today because the rest of my day will be filled with anger from Patriots Nation and the news of the quarterback signing. And that would be Cam Newton. So. Yep, big Cam Newton news breaking this morning. Uh, Cam is back with the Patriots on a one-year incentive-laden deal. Uh, instead, Coit and I will save our displeasure for uh, college basketball <laughs> and, and the local and national scenes here. Uh, judging by my email this morning, there is uh, plenty of vitriol among the fan bases here in the Ocean State. Oh, there is. Uh, and we will focus on Providence uh, in this one. The Friars, the latest, the last of the three men's teams who took the floor in the state this season to have their season come to an end. Uh, that was Wednesday night. It was Wednesday, Wednesday night. night. days yep. just run together at this point. Wednesday night, uh, late Wednesday in Manhattan at Madison Square Garden at the Big East Tournament, a 70-62 loss to DePaul. Uh, one and done for the Friars at Madison Square Garden for just the second time since the conference realigned. That was the 2013-14 season. Uh, that was a year in which Providence won the Big East Tournament uh, for the second time in their program history. Quite, uh, you know, just watching this one the other night, um, you know, the Friars were never really at the races in, in this one. They didn't come out with a lot of pop. They were down nine midway through the second half. Uh, Ed Cooley sort of went to the break glass in case of emergency. Uh, he went to Andrew Fonts. He went to Bryson Goodine. Both acquitted themselves very well. Um, you know, but Providence down the stretch, the last eight minutes, they, they endured a, a long field goal drought in the second half. Um, and lost to what has been the, the worst team in the league uh, by some distance over the last seven years. Uh, DePaul had dropped five straight games at the Big East Tournament. Um, they were the 11 seed. They were just 4-13 and 13 this season overall. Um, a disappointing end to, to what we hoped, what we thought, at the start of the year in November um, was going to be a, a really strong season for the Friars. And, and ultimately, uh, as it turned out, it was a disappointment. Things came crashing down too early in Big East play. Think back; they were three and one. Bill, three and one to start Big East play. We're thinking seven and three overall. Okay, well, looks like they've figured some things out, put it together quickly. Let's see how they do on a run through Big East play, and you know, you go on a losing streak after that, and things sort of spiral out of control, and you never quite got that consistency back. As a team, there were times I, I, I think I've said this on the air <laughs> five times now on TV. There were times where they looked like the team that was picked to finish third in the preseason poll. Right. They had the talent to be that team. Yep. And they showed you glimpses of it. We've talked about it on the podcast before. After that Xavier win a couple weeks ago, we said, there's the team they expected to have on the floor. Mm-hmm. And that was probably their most complete game of the year. Then there were times where, oh, oh boy, it was ugly. Sloppy with the ball. Offense was just not efficient. The defense was just lacking. Um, There were just kind of guys standing around defensively. We saw a lot of that, I think, in the DePaul game, too. Mm -hmm. It was just, I, I can't imagine how frustrating it was for the coaching staff to know that there is a potential and a peak with this team and they didn't show it consistency it consistently rather and that's why they were 13 and 13 overall you you are what your record says and they had an up and down year um it's unfortunate because as you said bill i think we expected them to be contending at the top of this conference and we're recording this on friday semifinal friday for the big east we expected them at least in this tournament to be playing on this day against top competition Instead, they bow out on the first night, and they're not going to be playing in the postseason. I believe this is the first time since Ed Cooley's first year they won't be playing in a postseason 
tournament besides their conference tournament. Am I right about that? Uh, I know a couple of years ago they played in the NIT. Right. Um, you but know, that would qualify as a postseason And in, in Ed's in Ed's second year, I think they reached the NIT as well. And then his third year, they made the NCAA tournament. Yeah. So, so I, I think you could be correct. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, last year, you know, what it was. Right. You're throwing out last year. Yeah. Yes. But that's that to me is... It's striking when you had the roster and the talent in your program to, you know, at least be in a postseason tournament, and that's not going to be happening. Yeah, the difficulties here, obviously, uh, the other night you shoot less than 40% from the field. You have 10 assists against 16 turnovers. Uh, offensively, it was really a struggle. Only two players in double figures, Nate Watson with 18 points, uh, Noah Horkler with 17 points. He's four for nine from three. The rest of your team goes three for 17 from deep. Um, your backcourt combined, the guards who you played in this game, had 26 total points. Charlie Moore and Javon Freeman Liberty for DePaul each had 21. Um, you said that college basketball is, is a guards game, and, and certainly that is usually uh, clearly illustrated in March. Um, you know, and, and we got another lesson in it Wednesday night in this game. Um, you know, and unfortunately for the Friars, it, it was a lesson that uh, you know they didn't want to see, they didn't want to be taught. Um, you know, their their guards just really struggled in this one, couldn't get anything going. Um, you know, and it, and it was, you know, it, it was very much a lot of the ills that that bugged Providence throughout the year sort of came to the surface in, in this one. Um, only two scores and, and not a consistent third. Um, you know, struggling to find rhythm on offense. Poor three-point shooting. Um, you know, as you mentioned, uh, at times, a, a lack of connectivity on the defensive end. Um, you know, just really all the things that prevented Providence from approaching their, what we thought would be their ceiling this year, the pick third in the preseason, if you would perform to that level and finish third, you would be playing on the semifinal Friday at the Big East Tournament. Uh, as it stands, Providence goes into the offseason, a 13-13 team. Uh, they have a chance to bring back everyone, depending on individual decisions made uh, in the coming weeks and months. Um, but just based on this season's team, uh, one of the rare times, I think, where there were high external expectations for Providence – um, there have been other years where the Friars have been picked, you know, fourth in the league or fifth in the league or sixth in the league or seventh or whatever it may be, and they've had a habit of outperforming their preseason pick. I, I think a lot of the frustration as we sit here today and as people analyze this season is because this is really one of the first times under Ed Cooley that they have underperformed what we thought they might do. And I think that's fueling a lot of the criticism that we've heard the last couple of days. Absolutely. And I think people were really high on the recruiting classes that are now upperclassmen. Nate Watson being a senior, you know, a unique big man, sort of a throwback big man that you relied upon a lot this season, that you had expectations that he would play really well and compliment David Duke, A.J. Reeves, you know, I'd even throw Jimmy Nichols in there with that recruiting class, the junior class. Mm -hmm. um, you know, highly regarded, and especially when when David committed, that, that it made that class when they were coming in really exciting because you had a local kid with a lot of talent that was going to be the face of this program. And again, at times, you know, there were days where David and Nate, when they both played really well together, mm -hmm. it it looked great for them. Um, but there were times where you know, David the other night, two for nine from the field, zero for four from beyond the arc. I think, I think David, there were there was more attention given to him as Biggie's play went on. Mm -hmm. I think teams looked at it and said, "We gotta, we gotta throw a lot at him because he can stir the drink for this team." Right. Um, and I, I think teams did that a lot with Nate too. You know, trying to get the ball down to the post with Nate. Particularly, you remember the Villanova game on the road in Philly? I thought Jay Wright's game plan defensively was, I mean, when that ball was going into Nate Watson, you saw at least two guys going over there and trying to disrupt it. It was, it was deny, it was face guard at times, and then it was double on the catch. And, and that right there tells you, like, those were the two guys that, you know, teams were trying to take away. And... When they were able to do that successfully, I think we saw what the result was with Providence. I think Noah Horkler late in the year 
emerging and and sort of becoming comfortable. I'd say the last like seven games, mm-hmm. I think that was a good development for Providence. Um, it, it's unfortunate it came that late in the season because they probably could have used it more, especially particularly early earlier in Biggie's play. And because I think that's what they expected from a guy like Noah or a guy like A.J. Reeves, who was highly regarded coming in. Freshman year, he exploded onto the scene. Mm-hmm. And, and ever since, it's sort of been a roller coaster with A.J. You know, he has a day where he goes to Georgetown, lights it up in the first half, finishes with 28 points. And then there's days where you don't see much. You don't get enough out out of AJ for them to be consistently good. So, yeah, you're right. The expectations were there because I I think we've seen what these players can be and what fans thought, you know, they they would be at this point in their college careers. And so when it all doesn't come together like that, it's – it's disappointing because uh, of what fans were, were expecting. You, you you would ask questions there about player development and how A.J. Reeves might be better than he was as a freshman. Uh, you know, where is Greg Gant's development at this point? The other night he had one point, no rebounds in 11 minutes as a starter. Uh, no rebounds. That's... That just can't happen. Yeah. Can't happen for a guy who, who is essentially your small forward or, you know, someone who's playing on the front line and, and you trust him to start a game like that, a postseason game, and, and play major minutes. <clears throat> Excuse me. It, it just can't happen. Um, you know, so those are maybe larger big picture questions that I think we should get into in terms of Providence and, and where they go from here. Um, you know, you're looking at the Friars and, and you think. You know, including last year, of course, uh, this would have been six NCAA bids in eight years for for Ed Cooley. Um, you know, and I, I certainly think that that is you know more than what his predecessors were, were able to produce. Providence went twice to the NCAA tournament from 1998 to 2013. Um, you know, and I, I think that Ed has delivered in that way. He's made Providence a consistent contender in a realigned Big East. Um, you know, I, I look at the Big East as a whole, and I see it as much more of a resources neutral conference than it was before Ed took over. Uh, the football schools just had so much more in terms of cash on hand and facilities and uh, geographic area to recruit. Um, you know, I think that the playing field is a little more level now for Providence. I, I think the Friars have done a good job as an athletic department, backing Ed, getting the practice facility done, chartering, uh, securing him long term. And I think he's done a reasonable job of delivering in terms of contending with Creighton, Villanova, Butler, Marquette. You would say that he's in a better position than, you know, maybe all but Creighton, Villanova, UConn at this point. Um, you know, he's probably on that next tier with Seton Hall. But Providence is a better program than Butler. They're a better program than Xavier, better program than Marquette. That's sort of that mid-pack that you're hoping to separate from. I, I think Providence on the whole, over Ed's tenure, has been better than those places. I, I think consistently year in and year out, he's been better. Has he had the peaks that some of those places have had? No. Xavier was a one seed in the NCAA tournament. Um you could look at more postseason success in other places. Um, and that is, of course, the missing piece that, that Providence is still chasing. Uh, but on the whole, I, I would say that you, know, you are better off with Ed in charge than you have been in recent years with others in charge. The program is healthier at this point than it has been at other times. I understand that fans are frustrated. I think it's a good thing that you're frustrated. It means that you have expectations. It means that you care. If you weren't frustrated, if you could care less, if you were apathetic, then that would mean that the program was in a situation where you might need to make a change. Um, you know, for me, I look at what Ed has done over the long term, especially over the last eight seasons where he's been a serial postseason qualifier, and I think that it would take two to three, like a two to three year period here where you have seasons like this one. That indicates more of a program breakdown in how you're playing, in recruiting, among your coaching staff. This one year, if they can bounce back next season or the year after and make this one year a blip, I think it's an opportunity for Providence and their staff to do some self-scouting and to do some learning going forward. I think there, there needs to be some changes. There needs to be some changes. And Ed addressed that and was honest about that. 
after the DePaul loss on Wednesday. The last words of his press conference were, there's going to be changes coming. And, and he knows it. He knows that, that there needs to be something needs to be shaken up because it, it's been it, this was not a year that they wanted ahead. He said, and you could sort of feel it, too, from Ed, that this is not a year that I'm comfortable with. Mm-hmm. He looked uncomfortable he being did. in that spot. He did. Uh, and, and that speaks to the expectations that he has of himself in the program. Um, <laughs> I appreciate Friar fans passion. Um, <laughs> I said this on the radio with, with Scott Cordishi last week. Just do me a favor, Friar fans. <laughs> Let's not let go of the coach after every loss. Okay, <laughs> That's right. Let's this not isn't, do that. This isn't Texas high school football. No. Let's not let go of the coach after every loss. Okay. I think we now know we are, what, 10 years in with Ed. Mm-hmm. We know his advantages. We know what he's very good at as a coach. I think we know some of his deficiencies and yep. some of the things that he could self scout and improve on. Yes. Um, that's just comes with being around a coach and having him lead your program for a decade. You get to know him. It's this hasn't been a short tenure. Um, so yeah, I, I think I, I would challenge Ed to, to, you know, better himself in some of the areas that maybe he is deficient and whether that is through, you know, adding to the coaching staff, you know, shaking things up with an offense, those sorts of things. Um, because, you know, as, as, as much as the program has improved in the decade that, that Ed has been the coach, which it has, mm-hmm. and that is no small thing with all the things that you mentioned, Bill, having that, that gorgeous practice facility on that campus is a tribute to the, the success that the Friars have had and where they are as a program. That right there is just, it is a tangible structure as to where Providence is as a program. Right. That's no small deal. No question. Um, but here's an uncomfortable reality. And I know that, you know, seasons are different uh, and, and trends are different. Um, in the last three years in Big East play, Bill, you're 500. Mm-hmm. You're an even 28 and 28. Right. Last three seasons, Big East play. Now, again, three years ago, 9-11, you know, last year, two years ago, 9-11, last year, 12 and 6 the 6 game winning streak the ma- the marvelous february where you beat five ranked teams right that's sandwiched in between it was a pretty good stretch very good and if that postseason had happened i think you would have seen that only added to because of how the friars are playing i agree with that and this year 711 again though put it all together it's 500 in the last 3 years right and that speaks to okay it's been a few years some things need to change. We want to, we want to be better than that. We want to be better than 500 in three years. So what do we do? How do we shake it up? You know, and, and that's Ed asked these questions himself again in that that post game press conference. Just some of the quotes that came out of that. I think Ed had already had in his mind. You know, we need to be better going forward, and so he was asking things. How do we be better going forward? How do we prepare? For the toughness of this league, how do how are we better mentally? You know, how are we getting these kids better? All of those questions were asked by Cooley himself, and they're going to try to find some answers here in in the off season. And with Ed at the helm, I'll say this: you know, because he's been here and had the success that he has had over the decade, Bill. You know, and this is why I say to Fry fans, like, just slow your roll after every loss, okay? Right, sure. Because he knows what he's doing in terms of leading a program. He deserves, with the success that he has had, to go in, try to self-scout, try to make some changes, and try to get back on the path that this program had been on. There are a few points I I think that you could make, basketball-specific points, roster construction points, that I'm sure that they're going to take a step back and and have a look at. Uh, One was a point that you made all season, um, and I think it was a good observation by you, the lack of connectivity that they had on defense. And and maybe that stems back to not having a full offseason and having a lot of new guys playing in key roles. Um, You look at their previous six years, they finished in the top 50 in Ken Palm defense. Right now, they're 70. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's not a huge drop-off, you know, when you look at the numbers in totality. But when you consider that their defense for most of that period has masked some of their deficiencies on offense, 
I think that the separation between the two this year, maybe their offensive difficulties were more exposed. Even with their defense down just that tick, uh, this is the fourth straight year. They've shot less than 33.5% from three. They are not a good perimeter shooting team. Um, this is also a, another year where you know, they played at a slow pace. Uh, their adjusted tempo per game was 66.6 possessions. That's 274 in the nation. The two fastest teams that Ed has had at Providence played at 68.4 possessions per game. Last year, where they were running into March and looked like a train, mm-hmm. going to the Big East tournament and potentially NCAAs, and in 2015-16, which was the only year they've won an NCAA tournament game under Red. I don't think that's a coincidence. Nope. The only times that you finished in the top 50 in offensive efficiency, you had Chris Dunn as your point guard. So you need to maybe make it, you know, take a look at your system, your offensive system. How can it be more effective for every player we recruit, every player we bring in. Villanova is the gold standard in the Big East and one of the gold standards nationally in terms of offensive efficiency. They've had different point guards. They've had different personnel. Their system is elite. And so if that maybe means with someone like a David Duke that you have a little more pick and roll action, a little less flex action, you know, maybe some more NBA concepts where you're spacing a little bit, you know, where you're running things where guys will be a little better spaced and have a little more room to operate, where athletic guys like Greg Gant and Jimmy Nichols can get out into the open floor and, and maybe have their talents come out a little bit more, be unlocked a little bit more. Uh, you create some room to the rim for Alan Breed, somebody like that who has length, isn't shy about going in there. Um, I think that you need to look at at those things. I, I look at Cooley's tenure on the whole. He's won 59% of his games at Providence. In games where they've had 70 possessions, that pace, they've won 65.4% of their games. Wow. That's 107 games. It's not a small sample. Um, so there is evidence there that if they pick up the tempo a little bit and maybe make just a couple minor tweaks – on offense, that they could be better served going forward, that they could make life a little easier for themselves and maybe play a little less of this knockdown drag out. You know, every possession is, is blood and guts. That sort of lessens your margin. Um, you know, the other thing I would look at in terms of personnel, uh, you know, and I'm not a recruiting guru. I, I'm not, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and say that there's only one way to build a roster and it has to be all top 100 guys. I don't think that's true. You, you've had examples of player development in Providence, whether it's Bryce Cotton, who had one scholarship offer, or Kyron Cartwright, who was a late addition in the spring and turns into a point guard that leads you to NCAA tournaments. Everyone wants to recruit Chris Dunn. Everyone knows he's great. You know he's going to come in and, and be a good player. But I look at Providence's roster right now. They have no players from New York or New Jersey, which strikes me as a bit odd because mm-hmm. traditionally, Friar teams, winning Friar teams, have hit New York City hard in terms of recruiting. They've gotten guys from the Bronx and from Brooklyn, tough guards, athletic was, forwards. Wasn't there a guy, uh, three letters, it was like a prophet's sort of name, biblical, ah, yeah. something like that? Some guy named God Sham God. Oh, that guy. Yeah. Him. Okay. Yeah. He's pretty good. Yeah, right. Right? <laughs> Wemi Efejuku, pretty good player. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the list could go on. Friar fans know the names better than I do, but I think it's odd that maybe they are recruiting a little bit more outside what you would consider the Big East footprint. Um, you know, I, I understand that you want to go after four- and five-star guys. I, I think that is certainly um, a worthy pursuit because eventually if you land one, it changes your program. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Someone like Chris Dunn. You land Chris Dunn, it changes your program. It changes your trajectory. It changes who you are. Um, you know, But I, I'm interested to see if maybe they pivot a little more towards trying to shore up their base a little bit more. Um, you know, Maybe coming back in from the North Carolina targets in Virginia and further into the middle of Jeter's what, Michigan? Michigan. Michigan. Right. Um, You know, maybe coming back to kids who are going to be a little more gritty and a little tougher and, you know, you sort of get that that Big East footprint, that sort of Big East DNA that you're recruiting from. Maybe you change to that. Maybe you'll be more successful. You get on more final lists. You'll land a couple higher value targets. Maybe, you know, and maybe that includes... um, 
you know, if not a staff change, certainly a different area of emphasis in, in that way. Um, you know, I, I think the good thing, and, and I think you mentioned it, is, you know, Ed acknowledged at the end of that press conference that, that they do need to make some changes. Um, you know, how, how severe those are, we'll see over the next, you know, few months, few years. Um, but I think that any effective winning organization, whether it's pro college or, or otherwise, I think they have an ability to honestly evaluate themselves. Um, you know, I'll go back to Villanova. 2011-12, Jay Wright was 13-19. and 19. The next year, his team was 113th in offensive efficiency. It wasn't this sort of assembly line that that they have now. And that was mid-career for him. He'd already been at at Villanova for 10 to 12 years by that point. He made a noticeable change in the way they wanted to play, in his recruiting philosophy, in his player development. It's won him two national championships and, and turned them into a national power. I'm not saying that Providence will have the same success with just a couple tweaks, but I certainly think that Ed's acknowledgement that they do need to look inward a little bit, that they might need to tweak some things, whether it's personnel, how they play, uh, their approach, I think that's a healthy thing. I think it's a good thing for him to acknowledge that. I'm interested to see how they put that into practice going forward. That's a great comp, Bill. That's a great comp. That was, you said, what, 10, 10 years in, basically? Just about. Year, right? Yeah. Wow. That's a great comp. And I, I well, what I think it, it speaks to is when a school knows it has a good coach leading the program that it is willing to invest in, that it's willing to stay patient with, that it's willing to see where they take it, um, it can pay off. Mm. And, and it obviously has with as you said, Villanova taking home two national championships after tweaking some things, changing some things. And I think that's that would be the challenge I would have for Friar fans, too, is just, hey, let's be patient here. We have a guy that wants to lead your program and wants it badly to be as successful as it can be. Yes. You know, that, that, is, there's, that is no small thing. Um, so, that's ah, man, that's a great comp. Um, and the other thing I'll say, too, is and I've said it before, and I agree with you too. Um, I think a full off season will help their their defense. I think Ed, one of his strengths is coaching defense. I agree. I think always his teams are strong. The numbers show it, and so having some of the guys you know on his roster already have a full off season and sort of pick up some of those things because the numbers aside, I think at times the eye test was boy, they just look lost in some games, some possessions against some teams. You know, I think the offseason would absolutely help that part of this team. Yeah, stopping the ball, help defense, those are things that come with connectivity, it comes with chemistry, it comes with familiarity. Um, There was less of that this year among the Friars. And, and you were on that very early, to your credit. Um, you know, very early in this season, you spotted that. Um, you know, and, and it was certainly an issue for them. The other night against DePaul. Um, you know, DePaul moved on. They got spanked by UConn in the Big East quarterfinals. Uh, we will have UConn and Creighton in, in what, I, what a lot of people will think is effectively the Big East Championship game in the semifinals. Uh, you have Georgetown and Seton Hall on the other side. Uh, Georgetown upset Villanova. Um, Seton Hall took care of St. John's in overtime um, in a game that some folks might have looked at as an NCAA tournament eliminator. Um, St. John's certainly is not going to get into the field now, and Seton Hall keeps its chances alive. I know we both agree that if UConn or, or Creighton wins the Big East tournament, very realistically, could be a three bid league. That's and that to me is wow. That's eye popping for how good the league has been and how it's consistently gotten what five six teams at least into yep. the tournament every year. Right, it's a low number and and it speaks to you know sort of an up and down year for a lot of teams in the conference, not just Providence. Um, and look, I just a fair warning today to the, the good people working at Madison Square Garden. If there is a tall seven foot man. Who was wearing a Georgetown sweatshirt? <laughs> That's right. Just let him through. That's right. Okay. It's Patrick Ewing. That's right. His numbers on the rafters. So just let him through. Okay. He, he didn't play 15 years for the Knicks or anything. <laughs> that was awesome. It was outstanding. What a soundbite that was. That was great. That was that was. And I think people, some people took it a little seriously. It's like, no, don't take it seriously. Patrick's having some fun. It's I I really do think he's having some fun there because yeah. 
you know, he had a he obviously had a fantastic, tremendous career there for the Knicks. For for folks who who didn't catch it, uh, Patrick Ewing apparently over the last couple of days of the Big East tournament at Madison Square Garden has been asked repeatedly for his uh, security passes coming through. Uh, as as but if accosted, as he said, as, as if folks couldn't tell, it's Patrick Ewing. <laughs> I mean, my goodness, you know, he he is iconic in, in New York. Um, you know, a a long time great NBA player with the Knicks. Um, you know, one one of the most loyal. Uh, you know, most. Uh, you know, I, I would say one of the most steadfast type of players sure. in in that '90s era. Um, you know, just a, a an honest, hardworking player, lunch pail type player, the type of guy who New York just embraced. Um, you know, the dirt under his fingernails type of guy that that they all wanted to be. Um, you know, to, to question who he is in his home gym, effectively, it's it's hysterical. So awesome! It, it, it just it was great, and just the awkward silence when he was done. Like, <laughs> Okay, Patrick, moving on. <laughs> well, it's, it's kind of like, is he joking or is he serious? He was very much on the line between the two. Yeah, was, which I think made it as, as funny as it was. It was great stuff. Yeah, it, was great. Uh, it, it really was. Um, we go deeper into conference tournament week here, Coity, uh, with some news out of the ACC. Uh, two pieces of news that, that we really didn't want to see. Uh, Duke and Virginia have both been sent home from the ACC tournament after COVID-19 positive tests within their Tier 1 group. Group. Uh, for the Blue Devils, that essentially ends their season. They are off the NCAA tournament bubble. They will miss the field of 68. For Virginia, they have a very anxious week coming up in terms of whether or not they'll be able to compete, how many more positive tests there might be. Um, the Cavaliers' status going forward to the NCAA tournament currently is to be determined. Uh, Villanova, uh, Villanova, Virginia released a statement within the last hour saying that uh, they're not sure whether or not they're going to be able to play in the NCAA field. Uh, according to Bracket Matrix, our friends at Bracket Matrix, they are a four seed in the field, so they are comfortably in, would be a factor in the field of 68. Um, two things coming out of that. First, uh, and, and this is not to say that you can predict COVID-19 and where it will strike and, and how you know, just how widespread it is in, in certain areas. You know, we've seen folks take all the precautions possible and still contract the virus over the last year. Um, but I do think it's it's strange that given what we've learned over the last year and the spread of the virus and, and how important it's been to isolate and, and, you know, sort of limit your exposure to people, I do think it's strange that the ACC was allowing teams to commute to and from campus to this tournament. Um, you know, I know Duke was staying at home thinking that you know, they would be less exposed in a way. I would imagine the same luxury was offered to North Carolina, Wake Forest, North Carolina State, the tournaments being played in Greensboro. Um, it's a complete opposite approach of what the Big East took. Report to the tournament, you test, you go to the team hotel, and that's it. You're locked down. You only leave for walkthroughs, practices, games, whatever it may be. Uh, you're not going to catch the coaching staff of any team out having a drink in Manhattan after the game. You right. know they're, they're essentially on lockdown and, and in a, a pseudo-bubble. Um, so I was really surprised to, to see that from the ACC. I, I don't necessarily think it's, it's the best policy. Um, I also look forward to the NCAA tournament, and I think this is another reminder that this could happen in Indianapolis. It, it could happen to a team that's already won a conference championship within the last week or so. They could have a positive on campus and not be able to go. Um, you could also have a team report for intake in Indianapolis, have a positive test, and not be admitted to the field of 68. There are going to be four or five teams who are put on standby who would be the number one seeds in the NIT who, if they're not still playing, they're still practicing at home. Uh, in, in their respective campuses, in their respective gyms, trying to stay sharp for what could be a backdoor NCAA tournament berth. Um, so just, you know, not great news from the ACC. Uh, and really just a reminder that, yes, we feel better about where we are with COVID. Um, we love the fact that, that there are more people vaccinated now than cases over the past year. Uh, it does feel like we are turning a corner against the virus, uh, but this is just the latest reminder that we still have to be vigilant. It's interesting. I had not heard about the commuting aspect of the ACC tournament. Um, that's that's really interesting because, yeah, I I think of the Big East and just the lockdown that it's been and, and you know, how 
that structure, I think, has provided the, the type of environment that I think we're going to see with the NCAA tournament. And I think teams will try to get to Indiana as fast as possible. Yes. Uh, because then they can lock down, you know, if necessary, sort of quarantine, quote unquote, um, just to make sure that, you know, once the tournament starts, that you've had a number of days where. You, all you're doing is you're with your team, you're either at your hotel, you're practicing, whatnot, you know, so on and so forth. Um, and I think it's going to be as controlled an environment as, as possible. And I think with these conference tournaments, I think different conferences have tried to con- control it in different ways, but there's still sort of an openness to the vir- virus somehow, you know, entering the, the tournament itself. Um, and so... Yeah, you, you would hope that in Indiana, you know, things turn out better in terms of keeping teams locked in and locked down. And I think if you get past that first weekend, I, I think you're going to have hopefully more success um, because I think teams will have been there. They're going to keep them there. I agree. Um, and I think the mental aspect of that is going to be really difficult on these teams and players. Just you get to a second weekend, that's it's going to be a long time. You get to the Final Four, it's going to be a long time in Indiana. So I think that aspect of it plays into the tournament just as much as you know some of the normal aspects of preparing for an NCAA tournament. Um, and yeah, you're right. Some of these teams that would be at the top of the NIT, it's so interesting that they're basically waiting to see if they may get a phone call and i bet they will i don't think this is going to be perfect i really don't um you know you you hope the best for for virginia you know maybe they can get into the tournament we saw sort of the tight timeline here in rhode island with bryant and trying to get into its conference tournament and you know how they had to play with their seven scholarship players in the semifinal game and you know could that be the case with could they get some guys cleared at virginia to get to the tournament play with what they have and then go forward i'm not sure i'm not sure how it's going to work but um it certainly is an, an aspect of of what this is this year uh but i credit the the ncaa for for trying to trying to do this because they, they have to. They didn't get to do it last year. And, and obviously, there are... <laughs> obviously, they see dollar signs. That's that's obvious. Of course. Um, but these teams have made it this far. We've made it this far into the season. They want to have a tournament. They want to get this thing in. They want to get this thing done. We all want to see it happen. And so, they've been able to get through a season so far. Hopefully, they can, you know, get this thing done. And I'll say this, too, you know, because I, I agree with you that... You know, with COVID-19, you can take any precautions necessary and somehow it enters into your your realm, of, you know, there. Uh, but I will give credit to Providence because we, we gave credit to URI yeah. you know, for going the whole season without a COVID pause. Yes. Same goes for Providence. They didn't have a COVID pause this year. It speaks to the discipline that the program had, the players had, the sacrifices they made. You know, good for them for getting through the season without having to, to go on pause. I'm happy you brought that up because it is commendable. Uh, it says a lot about how much those guys care about each other and, and respect each other, that, that they adhered to the protocols, um, you know, from maybe the best player on the team to the walk-on, from yep. the top guy on the coaching staff down to the GAs and the managers, um, you know, takes a takes just a lot of day-to-day focus to to keep yourself out of situations where you could contract COVID-19. And especially as a college kid, I would not have had the discipline as as a college kid to keep myself out of those situations day in and day out. Oh, Bill, the mental aspect is... It's brutal. It's brutal. It really is. It's holy cow. And, And with Providence, too, early on in the school year, Bill... There was sort of a COVID outbreak on campus. Yeah, they had an issue, didn't they? Yeah, they did. They and did. so for the basketball team to be able to stay within their own realm and bubble and, and to be able to get through it without having a positive test, it's, yeah, it's it's commendable. They uh, they stayed away from our friends at Bradley Cafe and uh, at, the, <laughs> at the Abbey. Uh, we, we hope everyone in those two establishments oh, are man. doing well. We can't wait to get back. I miss the Abbey. The Abbey, uh, some of the best burgers in Providence. Oh, so great uh, in the state, really. If if we're gonna, uh, you know, maybe next year so, we should we should lobby for a remote, perhaps. Fun, uh, fun little story about the Abbey. Please do. Uh, I went to the Abbey for the first time when I was in college. Okay. 
I went down with, uh, I was in a car with uh, our mutual friend, who's now a sports anchor at Fox 4 in Dallas, uh, Jeff Kolb. Kolb. Yep. Uh, and a bunch of our classmates. This was our, it was a field trip, I guess you could say, for our sports reporting class at Emerson College. Yep. We were going down because our professor, John Rook, the voice of the Friars, ah. was doing the Keno Davis radio show wow. at the Abbey. Wow. And so we went down. We all sat down at like a you know long table, whatever, sort of off to the side. And yeah. uh, we actually both, Jeff and I, and I think a couple other our classmates popped up and Ask a couple of questions. I knew nothing about Providence College basketball. <laughs> nothing. But we asked a couple of questions because, John, well, I have some of my students here, and so I'd love to hear them ask some questions on the Keno Davis radio show, and you know, where, wherever they were broadcasting it at the time. Sure, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was my first experience with the Abbey. I remember the food was really great. Yeah. We had a great time, and... Um, yeah, that's my first memory. So when I first came down here, I'm like, oh, I gotta go to the, I gotta go to the Abbey again. That place was great, <laughs> really good. You know, obviously one of my favorite places. Though. There were uh, there are a lot of Friar fans from that era who would say that Keno Davis didn't know anything about Providence basketball <laughs> either. Uh, you know, and, and that's uh, that's why he only lasted three years here. Um, you've moved on from Keno Davis to Ed Cooley. For folks who lack that sort of perspective, you might want to look back and think about who was there before. Yeah, uh, I, I would say that they have improved considerably. Um, so, Coity, now, now as we you know we sort of look at the NCAA tournament and we're watching conference tournaments wind down. Um, you know, we have some awards coming out, obviously, in in their various leagues, uh, and we wanted to recognize uh, one player, Cumberland native Tyler Kolick, was named the Atlantic Ten Rookie of the Year uh, at George Mason. Uh, left-handed guard uh, plays the point. Shoots the three. He's a willing passer. Um, you know, he, he works well in that system run by Dave Paulson. It, it's a similar system to the one run by Tyler's AAU team, the Middlesex Magic. Uh, they're coached by Mike Crotty, who was a college teammate or played for Dave Paulson okay. in college. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a connection there between those two. Makes sense. Um, and, and so that's how George Mason got involved with, with Tyler and, and his recruitment. Um, had a really good year for, for a team that finished sixth in the A-10, played major minutes, um, You know, had some, some really strong games individually. Um, looking forward to, to watching his development as he goes forward. Uh, you know, you think back to him playing in the Ryan Center with Cumberland against Hendrickson, uh, and then obviously prepping the year at St. George's. Um, you know, he was a league player of the year with the Dragons in his one year there. Um, you know, and he, you always like to see a local guy succeed oh, yeah. and, and play well. Um, you know, you, you always like to see, uh, you know, folks come out of Rhode Island, go on to that bigger stage, and excel there, uh, you know, and especially when it's somebody who is in a league that you cover, playing against competition that you know well, you could sort of evaluate how good he is, how well he's doing, um, you know. So I, I kudos to Tyler. I, I really appreciated you know the way he played this season and, and the way he made a quick adjustment to college basketball. Yeah, I did too, and I, I'm not surprised. <clears throat> I, I think when you have the offensive talent that that Tyler has. Um, in a lot of different aspects, it, it translates to you know getting to a higher level of basketball. He he played really well in high school at both Cumberland and St. George's, um, and it, you just when you have that type of talent, it's going somebody's going to find it. And I think he's found the right place, as you said, the right system, the right fit for his talent to be immediately you know, put on display. And that's why he earned Rookie of the Year. And, you know, first in the in, in scoring for A-10 rookies, second in the country, Bill, in three-pointers made for rookies. Mm. Um, that, to me, was really impressive. But, again, not surprising if you watched him going through high school. Right. But you never know. With, with some of the talent that comes out of here, you say, okay, you know, how high can it go? And, again, fit is such an important thing. And when you talk to Tyler, too, and I, I had a chance to speak with him this week, and, you know, I, we've been watching him all year. Um, you see the work that he puts in, too. And, and we saw that in high school, too. He, is, he has a tremendous work ethic. Yes. Um, he's been pushed, you know, by his coaches. Uh, 
his trainer, blow him a kiss again, C.J. Ward, Plymouth Mass guy, no big deal, Plymouth Mass, oh, good people coming okay. out of there, uh, assistant coach at St. George's. There's the angle. <laughs> Shout out to C.J. again. There you go. Um, but those two have a, a, a close relationship, and, and you know, listening to them talk about, you know, getting in the gym and, and, and working, you know, as hard as they do, it translates on the floor. You you get what you put into it. And I think we saw that with Tyler. And, and even he recognizes that this is a great honor. He said he was on FaceTime with his girlfriend and he got a Twitter notification about it, which was really exciting for him. Yeah. Called his mom and dad. Sure. Called CJ. Said, hey, this is pretty cool. But then he recognized, all right, cool. Pat on the back. Let's get back in the gym. Right. And let's get back to work. Because I can... I can take it up a level. I can lead this program at George Mason to where we want it to go. And I think they played really well down the stretch. That's why they finished sixth in the league. Yep. So if they can add there, um, you know, give some more talent, you know, around Tyler, um, you know, to the program, then they can they can continue on this path. 11.1 points per game. He shot 36% from three-point range. Uh, assist turnover ratio was right about two to one. Uh, had 28 steals this season all good numbers yeah um you know all very representative numbers uh for a freshman who was a three-time a10 rookie of the week and and now the conference rookie of the year um you know inevitably though coity that begs the question about his recruitment uh about how he ended up in fairfax virginia and, and not necessarily playing for one of the locals um and i think that that maybe that invites a little broader conversation that that we can have here um you know tyler had a, a host of offers um you know about 20 in, in total um you know brown and bryant both offered him you could make a realistic argument that the atlantic 10 is a better league than the Ivy League and, and the NEC. Sure. Um, and I, I remember when Tyler committed, he, he told me that he wanted to challenge himself at, at the highest level that he felt like he could find. I think he's, he achieved that. Yeah. You know, playing in the A-10, I, I think it is, on the whole, a better conference than the Ivy League and the NEC. And that's no disrespect to, to those two. Um, you know, in terms of the Atlantic 10, he had offers from George Mason, Richmond, and St. Bonaventure, um, you know, and ended up committing to the Patriots. Uh, he did not have offers from Providence or from URI. And, and so we reached the point where he's the A-10 Rookie of the Year, and, and the Monday morning quarterbacks out there would say, well, why didn't Providence or, or URI recruit him? Um, you know, what were they waiting for? Why didn't they offer him? He's clearly a productive player on a, on a team that, you know, is in URI's league and, and certainly somebody who you would look and say, well, he might have been able to help Providence in, in a way. You know, he certainly shoots better than they average as a team. Um, he would have given them another option you know, on the ball. Uh, yeah. You know, maybe could have helped them in the backcourt a little bit. Um, and I do think that a lot of times those conversations are, are disingenuous in nature um, when you consider that Providence took a point guard, Alan Breed. Yep. You or I took a point guard, Ish Leggett. Would you rather have Tyler Kolick than Alan Breed and Ish Leggett? That's the real discussion to have. It's not, why didn't my school recruit him? It's, oh, my school recruited a point guard. But now because this other guy performed really well, I want to take that back. I, I want to do it over again. You know, I want, So I just... I get really uncomfortable with that sort of revisionist history about why didn't we get this guy? Why didn't State U and, and Providence, why did they look down their noses at him and you know not really give him the time of day? I Was that the case? Did they not offer him? Yes, they didn't. Did they recruit two players who they considered better at the same position, who both of those fan bases liked? Throughout the course of the year, you know, one fan base certainly in Kingston thought that Ish Leggett got snubbed, that he should have been on the A-10 All-Rookie team. Yeah. Um, so effectively, what you're, what you're going to tell me is they're going to recruit two players at the same position. That generally doesn't happen in a given year. You're not going to bring in two point guards in, in a given year. There's really only one that you put out there. Uh, you generally like to have an older player and then you know a younger player is, is sort of the understudy providence has that roster construction uh with david duke with jared bynum and then with alan breed um you know uri certainly has that roster construction with fats russell um and then with uh ish leggett so i think there's a lot of revisionist history there i think it's unfair 
to Tyler Kolick in that way to bring him into that discussion. If you are members of those two fan bases, um, and I think it's something that you should probably just let be. Again, it, it's about fit and it's about timing. And you're right, revisionist history. It's a lot of that going around. Last, <laughs> yeah. last, right. last night, Kyrie Irving scores 40 against the Celtics, uh, and all of a sudden yes. it's, how come the Celtics couldn't keep him? Yeah, what happened? Come on, guys. Right. You know what happened. That's right. I know what happened. That's right. Let's not revise things. Correct. Um, no, but it's about fit. And I think the PC and URI, those fan bases, can look at the performances that they got from their freshmen and say they should be satisfied. I think Alan Breed stepped in when Jared Bynum got hurt this year and, and did a tremendous job in trying to make up for some of the production that they had lost. Right. Um, and, and Friar fans looked at him and said, well, this kid's got something to him. There's some grit there. There's some toughness. You know, this is a guy that I think we can really, you know, can be a valuable player for us going forward. I've said it all year on the podcast with URI. Ish Leggett, I think, is is the next Fats. It's the next guy that you build a program around. I, I just the the personality, everything about him, you know. And and I'm glad to hear that, you know, fans are upset about you know him not being on the All A Ten rookie team because that tells me they believe in the kid, they like the kid, they like what he showed this year, and so you should feel good about him going forward. And you're right, you're not going to recruit, you know, the same position like that. You know, and, and bring them in in the same recruiting class. And typically it just doesn't happen, Bill, because either Tyler or Ish is going to look at it and say, well, this guy plays the same position in my recruiting class. Who's going to play? I thought I was the priority. Yeah, exactly. What happened So here? I'm going to go somewhere else. Right. It fit. All of these pieces, it, it fit. And for Tyler, you know, he had a great year because he went into the right place. Conference aside, you know, we talked about it. With, with Bryant and the fit for a kid like Erickson Bands locally. Right. He went in there and he has played well. And in that semifinal game, he played well because it's fast pace, up tempo offense. And it's, it's, it can be a little bit of improvisation. It can be just, you know, pull up, take a shot. Whatever. That fits Erickson. He's fast pace, right. he scores in volume. Right. That's him. That's why when you looked at it, you said Erickson Bands going to Bryant. I don't, they could play at any conference. I look at it and I say, that's their style? Good. That's a great fit. And I think we saw that with him this year. Right. I think the same thing with, with Tyler. I think he he was able to have his, his hands on the ball. He was able to get the shots that he likes to take um, that are good shots for him. And he was able to you know, distribute a little bit too. And that's it, it fit. And again, you know, go into the background of these stories and how these players get recruited. Why was Ish Leggett a target for David Cox? Because of the background, the high school, everything that was connected to David Cox. Right. You just said it with Tyler. Why was Dave Paulson recruiting Tyler Kolick? Because of the connection there with Middlesex Magic. There's always that sort of thing, I think, that plays into recruiting. So let's not revise it. I think everybody in this situation should be happy with the players that they have. Yeah, I think I think it worked out for all parties. I, I just, you know, it is just very disingenuous to me to come back to this in March and say, you know, why didn't we do anything? Was there an uproar when he committed to George Mason at the time? No, it was, man, we got Ish Leggett. He's going to be great. He's the next Jeff Doughton. Or, wow, we got Alan Breed. He plays for a really good team in Georgia, and he's physical and athletic, and, and he's going to fit right in here. If you're going to have a second guess, do it at that time. Yeah. Don't do it now. After you see everything work out, um, you know this. This isn't. This isn't like let's say if if Providence and you or I didn't offer David Duke, and he ended up going to Georgetown, and it was like, what happened? Why didn't you recruit this guy? Like he's a top sixty recruit. What are we? You know what are we doing here? This wasn't negligence in any way. This was you going in a different direction. Well, and you guys actually, you guys, you and and Kevin Mack made me laugh on Twitter. Uh, it was the Nova game last weekend. When uh, Tim Brando, who I, I like his energy and excitement oh, as, yes, as broadcaster, yes. he said basically, basically hinted at Providence didn't recruit Cole Swider. <laughs> right. You and K Mac and I think others were like, uh, that's not true. Patently not false. even close. Yeah, pat- <laughs> pat- patently false. No, and I, I remember that too. I mean, they wanted all three of those guys. They wanted right. Cole, AJ, and David. Right. Just didn't work out. And it's worked out for, for Cole. Good for him. Um, but don't tell me that Providence didn't try. 
No, no question. Yeah. Of course they did. Yeah. Uh, Ed, Ed Cooley took a home visit there. I actually think that he took the Providence logo bus there did he to really? Portsmouth. I think he might have. Oh, that's a good story. I think it was a, I think it was a big, uh, there was there was a big show there. Well, I had heard about the the meeting of, of the three with Ed and saying, you're who I want. Yeah, this is what you. I want to be. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And he, hey, worked out, Providence got two of those three guys, and the other one ended up at Villanova. Like... Look, it, it is what it is. And wanted to get away from home. He, he sure. wanted to get out and experience, you know, something a little different. Uh, he also took a visit to Duke, um, you know, and, and, and would have been on a short list at, at a couple other power programs. So, uh, you know, certainly, would, would you like to land him? Of course you would. Um, you know, but don't come back and say, well, they didn't recruit him. Yeah, right. Uh, so just, you know, in terms of revisionist history in recruiting, I think that happens a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, people go back and they say, "Well, why didn't you know why didn't Roy Williams recruit Steph Curry? Because Steph Curry was six feet and one hundred forty pounds in <laughs> high school, and Bob McKillop, for whatever reason, for whatever reason, Bob McKillop saw somebody who would fit his system, and Steph Curry turns into a supernova. Curry turns into the best shooter we've ever seen. You know, sometimes that happens. It does in recruiting. It is not an exact science. Yeah. Um, we have another example of that uh, at Colgate, who will play for a conference championship this weekend. Um, that'll be Sunday on CBS Sports Network. Colgate will play Loyola, Maryland. Uh, Keegan Records, the starting center for Colgate, the former South Kingston standout, prepped a year at St. Andrews. He had 21 points the other night in a semifinal win over Bucknell. That was a career high. Um, you know, to watch Keegan break out like this in year two, become a starter, um, you know, someone who, who is a, a key piece uh, for Colgate going forward. Um, you know, you're reminded that sometimes it takes a little longer with big guys. Uh, Keegan's 6'10 now, very athletic, active in the paint. Uh, he's not someone who you would look at and say, you know, he's more of your bulldozer type big, uh, a little stiffer, a little more rigid, a little stronger, maybe. Uh, someone who's a little more groundbound and, and near the rim. Um, this guy has quick feet. He can move. Uh, he's really good in the pick and roll. Um, he's really good in terms of, of trying to get early position and, and make a target for his guards. You could see that the other night, how hard he was working in the post. Um, if, if Colgate is able to win, they will be big favorites against Loyola. Um, you know, they could be a dangerous team in the NCAA tournament from the standpoint that uh, they can really score it. They're really good offensively. Uh, and he's a big part of what they do. So, um, you know, just in terms of someone who we both covered in high school to watch Keegan develop in this way, uh, I certainly will be rooting for him uh, on Sunday, and I'm sure you'll be doing the same. Yeah, I had a chance to speak with him yesterday, and um, just a. He's just got a, a great uh, energy to him, you know. Just a just a happy kid, um, you know. He, he really enjoys talking about basketball. You can tell. And I was sort of hinting at. I said, you know, I didn't want him to get ahead of himself. It's a big game on Sunday. He wants to win the conference title before thinking about the next step. But, um, you know, the next step would be the NCAA tournament. And he did hint at, you know, growing up, following URI down in South County. He said. You know, I, I, my dad and I used to do all the brackets and, you know, put, you know, sort of one of those, put a little money in a pot and, you know, hey, who's got the best bracket, whatever. He, yeah. he sort of was like, that's what we used to do. And so to be a step away from that, that's exciting. And you're right, Bill, watching him at SK, watching him at St. Andrews, always impactful when he's on the floor and always moving. You're yeah. right. He's not stiff. And now he's got more physical tools than he did. Right. You know, I think he was probably a little little scrawnier when he was at SK. And he was only about 6'6", yeah. which I, I say only 6'6", but uh, big difference between 6'6 and 6'10". Big time. Big difference. Big time. And he got the exposure and, and good coaching that, as they do at St. Andrews with Mike Hart. And Mike is a tremendous guy when it comes to you know, getting his players' names out there. Yes. You know, I'll, we'll see Mike Hart on Twitter sometimes and say, you know, I've got this kid. He's, he's a great guard for me. He's 6'3". He's this. Where are the offers? Right. Come on. Come see him. That's Here's right. the highlights. He's very good. At, and that's why I think kids will go and play, you know, for his program because they'll get good coaching. They'll get pushed, you know, because Mike is, is a fiery coach as well, which is always fun to watch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and he gets them out there. And he has the connections. And so... Um, 
to get, again, a good fit, too, with Colgate. You know, Keegan, I think, looked at this and said, well, Colgate fits. They have a role for me. I'm going to go there. I'm going to fill that role. And we're seeing that on display this year. You know, in the conference, he's, let's see, sixth in rebounding, third in field goal percentage, sixth in block shots, so top ten there, fourth in offensive rebounds, so he gives his team multiple opportunities to score. They scored 105 points in the semifinal game, which I believe was a Patriot League tournament record. If not, it hadn't been done since, like, the 30s. That, to me, speaks to, you know, a good team that's peaking, uh, has had a, I mean, I shouldn't say peaking because I think they've only got one loss this year. I think they're about 12, right. 13, and 1. Like this, right. is, this is a team that's been playing well all year. And so, a uh, chance to play in the NCAA tournament. You know, Keegan has obviously settled into, again, a great fit and a great role with the program like this. Yeah, one of the best mid-major offenses in the country. They're fifth in turnover percentage, 14th in three-point shooting, 15th in two-point shooting. Um, you know, really effective at that end of the floor. Um, you know, you mentioned Mike Hart, and, and I think I think that is a piece, a really important piece for a high school coach or prep school coach. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. It's not just coaching your team and getting them to play a certain way. It's advancing your players, yeah. developing them, and finding them a place to play in college if they wish to continue their careers. And having those connections and, and putting their names out there and being honest with college coaches who are recruiting them. You know, this kid is, is good enough to play at your level or this kid's not good enough to play at your level. Sometimes those are difficult conversations to have. I think the best indicator of, of how well Mike has done it is that year over year, he's able to place just about every guy on his team, whether it's in Division One, in Division Three. Um, you know, he's able to find homes where his guys can flourish at the next level. And I think that comes back to the fact that he's an honest coach. And he runs a good program. Um, and I know that, you know, just speaking with high school coaches over time, I know that one of the hardest things to do, because you're dealing with kids who put a lot of time in, parents who put a lot of time in, is finding that appropriate level and not overselling to folks who are recruiting uh, your players. Um, you know, I, I remember I had, a, I had a baseball coach once in Rhode Island tell me that, uh, you know, he had, he had UConn and Boston College recruiting one of his players and he said I wouldn't tell UConn or BC that my kid could play for them if I didn't really believe it because the next time I have a really good player I can't call those coaches and say hey come down and take a look at my guy he's really good right their response will be well yeah the last guy was really good too and he didn't perform for us um you know so i so i think that that mike has done a really good job of that over the years at st andrews and and i think you know keegan is is just one of the latest examples uh you know as we go deeper into march here the reason i laugh is you you remember in jerry mcguire when jerry's trying to get a new contract for rod tidwell and he calls the coach and McGuire's telling him, oh, Tidwell's this, Tidwell's that, Tidwell's this. And the coach is basically telling him, like, yeah, Jerry, you said that the last time. That's right. Yeah, Jerry, this. Yeah, Jerry, that. That's right. He's not Andre Reed. He's not Chris Carter, whatever. And He doesn't go over the middle. Yeah, right. And then, and then Jerry yeah. starts saying, well, you know... I was at your I was at your kid's birth. We have our family dinners together. Right. It's like, all right, Jerry, get out of here with that. So that's what I think of with that. That's funny. Now, it's really important to be honest. It's, yes, those are those are difficult conversations to have, um, you know. But they they are uh, very beneficial to all sides when when you are able to have them and engage in that way. Um, in Keegan's case, uh, you know, bad news for the folks at Colgate. I expect his phone to be very busy this offseason <laughs> uh, in terms of the one-time transfer. If that does come in, I, I would expect, uh, as as some of the uh, some of the coaches around here would say, I expect some of the poachers to to be coming in. Um, you know potentially try to land an, an athletic big man like that who is able to get on the glass. Uh, I certainly think that there will be folks who, who coach at a higher level than the Patriot League who might look and say, hey, this guy could really help us. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that, that, as we get into the offseason, will be one of the new realities in college basketball. The one-time transfer comes in, name, image, and likeness come in. We both expect both of those to be passed. Um, these podcasts will be very different next year. These rosters will be very different next year. Uh, the tone around the sport will be very different next year. Uh, as it is now, we are thankful 
to be talking about conference tournaments and NCAA tournaments. We know where we were a year ago Oof. this week. Today. Today, today, Bill. I remember going on the air at 5 o'clock and saying it was the day that sports stopped because the night before this, the NBA had shut down and then everything followed. And by nightfall on this day, March 12, 2020, the NCAA tournament had been canceled, yeah. and we were looking at an empty sports calendar. It was the most empty feeling I've ever had sitting in the office. I literally thought to myself, now what? what? What are we going to do? What are we going to talk about? Now, five days later, the greatest quarterback of all time leaves the New England Patriots after 20 years, so we had plenty to talk about, but, but obviously it was, a, it was a harsh reality at the time that this pandemic was very real. And it was hitting us hard. We start the podcast with Coit angry at quarterback discussions. <laughs> we end the podcast with Coit angry at quarterback discussions. Uh, no one bring up the Patriots to, to Coity over the next few hours, please. 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday morning, 103.7 WEEI. Yeah, Nick and Scott are going to have a lot to discuss. The callers are going to have a lot to say. Uh, for us, the next time we reunite will be early next week. Uh, we are hoping it will be a three-man weave with Maury Hirsch-Gordon. Get your brackets ready, folks. March Madness is nearly here. Thanks for listening.